It was a big week in independent league ball with expansion and great play. I'll break it all down here on this solo edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, back again. Another solo edition of the show. My usual cohorts not available this week. Uh, I do appreciate Will filling in the last couple of weeks. Co-host still not available. So that leaves you with just me this week, as you could probably tell by the title of this episode, as well as my introduction. However, the standard procedure will still go through. I'll talk some American Association ball, and then I will also talk about some of the exciting news coming out of the Atlantic League and possible uh, further expansion from the Atlantic League. But all that comes in due time. We will start by talking our usual American Association talk. I will warn just in advance, though, I wrote down these stats uh, midday Friday. This does not include Friday night's games. This does not include Saturday afternoon games. So the physical player stats may be a touch out of date, but by and large, they're good enough for our purposes here, as well as the standings. By and large, they are pretty up to date here. Uh, really, it's just the top four that matter. Chicago, uh, they are now 10 and 13, so they're a little ways behind the uh, behind the pack. They're about five games back of first now. And then Fargo-Moorhead, they still have yet to hit the 10 win mark. They are 9 and 17, so they're a ways back here. And so with that, we'll just jump right into American Association talk. Guys, just mentioned the stats are a little out of date, but that that's life for you there. So far, the standings shake out like this. Winnipeg and Sioux Falls in the, in the two playoff spots at the moment. Milwaukee as a couple games back. Same thing with St. Paul. Chicago is just barely staying alive at the moment. And Fargo-Moorhead is on the brink of essentially being done this year. They are nearly at 30 games. They are, at this moment at least, about seven games or so back of first place and about six games back of that final playoff spot with a bunch of teams in between and not a very easy schedule coming up as they struggled this week greatly not looking good for them there but some of the headlines from the week in the association Winnipeg took advantage of a very weak schedule I say it's a weak schedule because they got Chicago for a handful of games and then they got Fargo Moorhead Uh, like it or not those are the two worst teams in this league and they did what they had to do which is go eight and two against them and that's just what you got to do you got to take a advantage of these weaker opponents. Uh, We know these teams have struggled despite showing flashes, particularly last night in Chicago's case, uh, coming back with a tremendous ninth inning, uh, just barrage of offense, putting up nine runs to force extra innings. In that regard, they definitely have some talent, those lower uh, in the standing teams, but when you're a team like Winnipeg, you want to make the postseason, you have the talent to make the postseason, and there's certainly the expectation that you're going to make the postseason. Uh, you got to beat up on those weaker weaker teams and take advantage of your schedule. They certainly did that this week. Canaries, they did show a little bit of weakness. They had a slightly tougher schedule. They wound up going about 500, 5 and 5. They're certainly still in the thick of things here. They're only a handful of games behind. And quite frankly, I do see them uh, being able to keep pace here. A team like Milwaukee is going to need to definitely do some catching up here. They took a step back, Milwaukee. That is three and seven on the week. They showed some flaws. The offense still is an issue, and the the pitching kind of teetered a little bit. We'll go into detail on all of this in just a little bit. St. Paul and Chicago, they do manage to both stay alive. I say them both because you would think that Chicago's in a far worse position than St. Paul is, but in reality, 
it's really not the case. There's only about a game's difference between the two of them. Uh, they're both, at least at the time I wrote down all my notes, they're the same amount of games behind Winnipeg, five and, or four and a half, my mistake. And currently, they're, the records are fairly similar. They're fairly similar teams in general. To put them in the same conversation, I think, is perfectly fair. And they do manage to both stay alive. They're going to need to do some heavy lifting, though, as we go into August now. Uh, really, the next two weeks are going to be make-or-break weeks for both of them. If they can just manage to even play 500 ball, they preserve their chances here. But if they start to struggle, if they start to play more like 400 baseball, it, we may be getting ready to write them off. And with the talk of writing off teams, Fargo-Moorhead is certainly no more than a week away at this point. I know me and Will discussed this last week, how we were about ready to just write them off. I know uh, me and James discussed it the week prior that we are just about ready to write them off and they just are they're really at the breaking point now uh, three and seven in their last 10 seven games back of first place nine and 16 as their overall record all in all they're not really showing too much on any front as to why they should be really left in the conversation as to making the postseason here as they are way, way behind. They are five total wins behind and seven total losses behind that second place team in Sioux Falls. And even if you want to say, oh, well, we'll compare them to Milwaukee. Well, there's still about three wins back in Milwaukee and four losses ahead of Milwaukee in that regard. So they're, they're still a ways back of even the most optimistic scenario here they're going to really really need to take advantage of whatever they can at this moment to try and scrap scratch something together they have milwaukee this week they're going to need to do something to really make a statement they're going to need to start winning games and that's something they've struggled to do quite clearly to this point here and that all starts with the offense for them enough said about that We'll jump right now to starting to talk about individual teams in some more detail. We'll start that with the American Association leading Winnipeg Gold Eyes, which are hitting on all fronts. With the exception of Kevin Lachance, they're all batting 260 or better. And when you have a whole lineup of players, including your bench hands, that are batting 260 or better over the last seven days, it's very hard to beat that. I'm just going to highlight two guys, but there are plenty of guys in this lineup that deserve recognition. And those two guys are John Nestor and Darnell Sweeney. Sweeney batted 348. He had an on-base percentage of 423, four home runs, seven total runs scored, and eight hits. Nestor batted 471 with an on-base percentage of 727 with three home runs, five total runs scored, and eight hits. Uh, those are just out-of-this-world numbers on both fronts there. You have just talent like that. Nestor did have a bad week last week, and he bounced back. Darnell Sweeney, again, proving that he is a dominant player, and he is making a very strong case in my mind for player of the year. He was just named player of the month this month alongside uh, David Holmberg from Milwaukee. And I gotta say, I have a very hard time disagreeing with, the, with Darnell getting that honor. Like I was just about to say, he... He looks like a player of the year type candidate at the moment. The, the numbers back it up. He's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. He's getting on base and he's far from a liability in the field. It's very difficult to say that he doesn't deserve it, especially when you factor in that production in the Winnipeg lineup. He is a key contributor for this team. And it's hard to, again, make an argument against him getting that just because there's 
there's only a handful of other players that realistically could snatch that title from him. Now, we'll go into those players a little bit later on and much later on in the upcoming weeks as things develop and things change. But as of right now, uh, guys like Sweeney and Nestor are powering this team an, an awful lot. And then it doesn't stop right there with them. A lot of teams in this league, and this is why Winnipeg is one of the better teams in this league, would only be able to boast their bats. But pitching-wise, they're also equally a strong bullpen. Arms are producing. Uh, Jose Jose coming in has just dominated and done what he, we know. Uh, Capion has been, well, the guy we know, the uh, second all-time in American Association saves. He produces on that front there. And then as far as starters go, Hilton has continued his, uh, his outrageous pace and just really dominated, as well as Frank Duncan. And both of those guys really have yet to have a bad start. Duncan, yes, he had one bad start, but... Still, I believe he's made five starts now, and if you have four really solid starts, including two where you don't even surrender a run, it's it's hard to complain about that. And moreover, and probably more importantly, Kevin McGovern has bounced back tremendously. He had a good start today against St. Paul, I know. He ran a complete game, and I believe he only allowed two total runs here, but even before that, his previous start, he went seven innings and only surrendered one run. I believe he struck out five or surrendered five hits, struck out three. That's it. And uh, he did only walk one guy. So, I mean, he only allows six base runners the whole seven innings there. And that's certainly the kind of bounce back start you need. And seeing McGovern do that against a team like St. Paul in today's case shows me that he is back in form. He is the dominant pitcher they need. And now you have three solid starters in that rotation on top of a really solid bullpen. This is the moment where I was having some doubt about Winnipeg, and I expressed that doubt in the past few weeks, that maybe they're only as good as their week schedule shows them. And again, they did play some weaker opponents this week. There's no really arguing that point that, you know, they played Chicago, they played Fargo-Moorhead, two teams that are at the bottom of the standings at the moment. But their guys did take advantage of that. They did. You can only play who's on your schedule. And they produced in such a way where it's just so much better than other teams that have played against the kind of bottom tier teams in the league that have a hard time saying that they're not the top team. And now that they took a game against St. Paul, that tells me, okay, well, they're still winning games. Now, granted, St. Paul is technically a bottom half team still, but they don't play like that. And if you're beating better teams and you're still having good performances, it's hard to argue against that. So Winnipeg really is jumping ahead here. And I'm going to be very interested to see if they can continue this pace, take a series win against St. Paul, and continue that success into this week. And if this time next week they're in the same position, they still are 8-2 and two in their last 10. They're still first place in the American Association. I think at that point... I can safely confirm that they are one of the, if not the best teams in the league at this stage. But it'll be very interesting to see, as it does depend on the next few teams we're going to discuss here, which is Sioux Falls and Milwaukee. Uh, Both of them were kind of all over the place this week. Uh, Sioux Falls, they got Grant Kay, a guy from Affiliated Ball. He comes in, he bats 478, he hits a home run, scores five runs, 11 hits. The guy produces very well. Other guys like uh, Jabari Henry, who I believe pulled up running last night, so he may have some sort of a lower body injury and we'll have to see if he plays tonight and if he does in what capacity. Alaylago is also producing and then Logan Landon who had a tremendous walk-off hit last night and uh, 
he he's one of those guys that's also producing still. Likewise, there are guys in that bullpen that are pulling their weight. And guys like Hayer and Fritzy, they've been reliable out of the pen, and we saw Fritzy be very reliable coming out and pitching in extra innings last night. Now, Keaton Steele, he's struggled a little bit. He's pitched three innings. Now he's gotten three saves in all three of those innings, but he did blow a save last night. He has allowed a decent amount of runs. I believe he's now allowed three or four runs in his last four games, which is a bit concerning, no doubt. And if you can't get that straightened out, it's going to be an issue. And then Jake Zolkan pitched very well in his last few starts. Uh, 14 innings, 4 earned runs, uh, 10 hits, 14, 15 strikeouts, 2 walks. Uh, you can't ask for much better than that out of Zolkan, but... Uh, Games like last night give me pause with Sioux Falls. Uh, for those unaware, in the top of the ninth inning, what wound up happening was they were up 9-1, to one, and there was a series of walks. I believe it was walk, walk, fielder's choice, walk, to load the bases, then three bases loaded walks, then a grand slam, and then a two-run home run, which all wound up building up to a grand total of an 11-9 to nine lead for Chicago going to the bottom half of the inning. Now, granted, the Canaries did manage to tie up the game, and then they did manage to win it in the 11th, but even still, when you're up by nine runs, you shouldn't really be concerned about that. I kind of question the use of Fulman there. He was left in for 70 pitches, which is a bit too long in my opinion, which clearly, if you walk several guys and the bases are loaded, then clearly it was uh, too long for that. Then uh, Nico Blanc came in. He didn't pitch well at all. He walks in, I believe it was two or three runs he was responsible for walking in. And then, obviously, Keaton Steele, not exactly a great uh, performance out of him. A grand slam, a two-run shot, that's not looking great for him there. That's his first blown save of the year, so that's not what you need to see out of your closer. Now, granted, every pitcher has a rough outing. Just Steele's had about a rough week now, and that is a little concerning. Before he was getting hit, yes, but he was still getting the save, which is really what matters. They, su- they still secured the win. Uh, last night, they did get the win, but they had to take it to extras, and if not for some good offense in the bottom half of the ninth, they would have had a tremendous loss there where you allowed 10 runs in one inning to lose a game, which is just unacceptable in any stretch of the imagination to allow 10 runs, let alone in the ninth. And uh, that's something that is of some concern to me to see that happen. Now, granted, they did bounce back. They did win, which does tell me a lot about them as a team. And they did manage to put up the amount of offense they needed. And quite frankly, they looked like they could put up another couple of runs if they needed to as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see going forward to see how that shakes out for them. Because if they can't get everything together and they can't close out a win and they start to struggle against these kind of higher opponents that they're going to be facing soon. They're going to be facing teams like a St. Paul, like a Milwaukee, like a Winnipeg, then it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for them to really do a lot of damage in a postseason sense. For them, I'm I'm not terribly concerned about them making or missing. I think they're probably going to wind up either claiming the first or the second spot. I'm just concerned if they're going to win a championship or not, which is quite frankly where I think the mentality has to be for some of these upper tier teams. It's great that you can get to the dance, but it's all about winning it once you're there. When you see things like that, it does give you some pause because a team like a Winnipeg isn't going to be down by nine. They're not going to 
get into that position, and they're certainly not going to allow you to crawl back in, especially if they're going to run out guys like Capion to close a game, as opposed to an Adam Choplik, who, again, not the best as of late, but has been very good up until now. And even if you don't have a Capion available, a guy like a Jose Jose is going to come out there and just slam the door on you. So it's definitely going to be something to watch for me going forward to see how often this is a thing. It's very likely that this was just a fluke, that it was just a bad game. But the fact that they're in these positions does give me some concern. Of that said, looking at Milwaukee real quick... They're, the story of them has just been betting everything on pitching. Uh, guys like Aaron Hill and David Washington have cooled down significantly, and really the only two batters of note are Logan Trowbridge. He batted 375. He didn't have a home run. He only scored one run, actually. That is some concern to me. As a whole, when you only score one run and you're your team's leading batter, Brett Vertigan also did decent, but he batted 236. A 423 on base percentage. He did score two runs, but even still, when those are your two leading batters, it's very clear where you threw your lot in, and they threw their lot in on pitching. Now, granted, that has paid off in spades. Uh, Shugel, Gray, Bender have all combined to be terrific, terrific as of late. Last seven, uh, about seven innings pitch between the three of them. No earned runs, no runs, period, actually. Only three hits allowed, 11 strikeouts, two walks, and a save. Gray also picked up another save last night, I believe, and if it wasn't a save, it certainly was a dominant performance. He allowed a double, but that was about it, and then he shut the door. Either way, Peyton Gray has been a tremendous player so far, and has been extremely underrated at this point, and at this stage in the game, as next week we should be at the 30 game mark, and I imagine we'll do some sort of an all-star team if we would, or at least our halfway point best player, so I guess it's basically an all-star team. And I gotta put Peyton Gray on my team as far as a bullpen slot because that guy has just been so dominant to this point that it's really surprising that he hasn't gotten looks from some of these major league, you know, training facilities. I I gotta imagine there's at least one team that could use another arm in these training hubs. And if a guy's got an ERA of zero over his last ten days or so, I believe he's rocking near a, a near zero ERA on the year. In fact that's worth a shot. Even if you only give him like a week or two in the training facility, he's worth the look. And I do hope in the offseason at the very least that he does get some sort of look or at the very least winds up in a higher level league, like say the Atlantic League, because I'd love to see what he could do against even higher level talent. And if we're being all honest here, he's facing Atlantic League level talent this year. I mean, there's former major league guys in in bunches, really, in the American Association this year, as well as some affiliated guys, and he really hasn't been deterred at all. His numbers just keep snacking up with some of the best in the league. So I'm, I'm a really big fan of Peyton Gray, if you couldn't guess, but uh, long and short is Milwaukee, they're banking on their pitching. They need to get some offense from some guys. There's players on this team that can do it, but they need to start actually doing it. We're reaching the point in the season where potential only means so much, and it's time to be actual. We can't really run a potential anymore at about the 50% mark. If guys are going to do something, they need to start doing it now, because if you don't, you're probably not making the postseason, because again, only two teams are. So if Milwaukee wants to make it, the pitching needs to stay where it's at, and the batting needs to bring it up. They don't even need to bring it up 100% of the way. 50% of the way will do it. If they could just get two other guys in addition to Vertigan, 
and Trowbridge hitting. If they could just get like Hill and Walker or Washington and Connolly, or if they could get Chase Simpson back in there, anything like that would really help this team. And they really need any form of help they can get right now as far as batting is concerned. So it'll be very interesting for me to see how this team adapts in the second half of the season. That said, we'll touch on the Saints real quick before just diving into the last two teams on the list. St. Paul, the biggest boost they got was that they're going to be able to be playing from home this year. They got news yesterday that they can play the rest of their home games, so their home games for September and August at CHS Field in St. Paul. Uh, just the full details on their website, but uh, just some of the highlights what from the from the website is they can only have a maximum of 1500 people and that will be divided into six 250 people sections uh each district which is what they're calling these sections the 250 people sections that is uh they'll have their own facility so their own concession stands their own bathrooms their own entrance and exit everything is going to be done through these channels and i think this is a really effective way of maintaining the social distancing which uh same basic rules are in effect the, the social distancing so many seats between people unless you're in a group as well as masks whenever you're in a common area or essentially just not eating drinking or sitting down in your seat uh which it's all well and good on that front but this system of dividing people into the sections and giving them their own separate areas i think is the most effective way to ensure that there isn't any uh, uh any unnecessary social issues namely being uh, having a bunch of people stacked on top of each other if you limit it to 250 you gotta figure there's no more than 50 people up at a time which really is going to be the most effective way of maintaining the social distancing and even with the entrance and exiting the ballpark through these separate entrances everything will be a lot easier to maintain so i do want to give them credit on that front before i actually talk about uh, what they did on the field this week which was basically stay alive uh, their bat stayed hot their pitching came alive Nate Sampson finally started hitting his stride and hitting like we know him to be able to do. He batted 400. Uh, John Silviano, the official player of the week last week, he batted 318. He had three home runs, scored seven runs on seven hits. So he produced a lot. Really, the whole lineup is hitting with the exception of Josh Allen, Chris Chinea, and Alonzo Harris. Although I believe Harris brought home a run today and Chinea was extremely good last week. So uh, not much concern out of those guys. Again, the bullpen ended very well. Uh, the bullpen finally started coming alive, as I'm just kind of uh, alluding to. I know last week, me and Will kind of jumped on their pitching staff a little bit because they weren't really producing, but guys like James McCrane are back on path, uh, Brown's back on path, Brian Glowicki's back on path, and Volker's also back on path there. About eight innings between them all, no earned runs, seven hits allowed, nine strikeouts, a walk, and two saves from that group, so everything's back on track for the bullpen, really, at least the four workhorses of the pen. Uh, and also Zimmerman, Ryan Zimmerman, produced very well in two starts, uh, 13 and two-thirds, four runs, eight hits, 10 Ks, four walks. That's what you expect out of them. However, with that said, guys like Medina and Quintana still not producing like they need to be, so that needs to start getting back on track for them. And that is a little concerning to me. If you can only really rely on two out of the five starters... It's going to be a problem, more so a problem later on down the road, but still a problem. And we're starting to approach that kind of turning point in the road that this needs to be approached at. So I'm going to be very curious to see 
what the St. Paul Saints look like in the second half. If they can maintain this hot pace, which they weren't able to do at least in the first half of today's game against Winnipeg, then maybe they have a shot. If they can't, then who knows? But realistically, there's at least one playoff spot that's up for grabs. Uh, I can't see, I could see a scenario where both Winnipeg and Sioux Falls take those two spots, but I can see an even more likely scenario where either Winnipeg or Sioux Falls has one, and one of the other four teams snatches up the other. But who really knows? It's still a little too early to start taking guesses like that. Uh, we'll be able to better tell in two weeks from now as to who's really in play for that final, for that final spot, really, and who's going to lay claim to that top spot in the league. But either way, uh, St. Paul does a lot to keep their hopes alive and really keep the conversation going about this team. So now to kind of just shift to Chicago real quick. They beat up on Milwaukee this week. They finally found some sort of a footing. Kraus, Hope, Hobson, Tudoslavich, they're starting to find their form. Uh, three other guys that I feel like are worthy of note. Victor Roach had a very strong week. He didn't get a single walk, and so he only got on base via the hit. But he batted 435, he had three home runs, he scored five total runs, had 10 hits. Uh, Edwin Arroyo starts to get back into form. He trailed off a little bit last week, but now he's really back. A 364 batting average, he did hit a home run too, three total runs scored. And then Harrison Smith, a guy that's been mainly used as a bench guy, he's not really hitting that great. 211 for him, but he has three home runs, so he's bringing in runs. That's the thing, and he's scoring runs. He scored seven of them in the past uh, past week, so it's not like he's not producing. He's just either a home run or an out type guy. So, whilst a bit of a concern, uh, the bats are coming alive, and that's something they're going to need. And judging off of last night in Sioux Falls, they're a dangerous team that you can't really afford to write off. Clearly, if you score ten runs in one inning. To give yourself a lead, and then you still produce more offense in extra innings. Now, granted, none of them came around to score, so it really doesn't matter. It still says a lot about how dangerous of a hitting team you are. Uh, guys like Schumann, Schwendel, and Miller all producing very well. About three innings total from them. Again, no earned runs and five strikeouts for them. J.D. Busfield finally had a really solid start. Five innings, no earned runs, only one hit and three strikeouts. So one base runner allowed across the whole start for him. Very solid uh, job by J.D. there. Uh, now, granted, the rest of them, the rest of the stars, they need to pick up their they're kind of wait. They need to start producing more. But if you can start getting more reliable starts with a good bullpen, uh, everything should start to fall into order there. On the flip side, with the worst team in the association, really it's Pena, Ward, Abara, Dylan Kelly, and Metzger providing offense here. Uh, the rest of them not really doing much. So Trey Hare has fallen off considerably since his hot start to the year. Uh, guys like Pike, Anderson, Tom Shaw from the pitching angle have done very well from their starts. Only six earned runs across the four starts. That's about 25 innings for all of them. And the bullpen has also been very good. Jones and Flores especially with an ERA of zero in their last appearances. But across the board for... Fargo-Moorhead, they're really just not getting enough offense. I included Metzger there just because he hits home runs. And the rest of them, they're just batting around high 200s, like around 280 or so. So that's not really going to be enough when you look at the other bats in this league. And they're pitching on top of that. I'm starting to really believe the time has ran out on Fargo-Moorhead. And I got to imagine if they can't score a couple of wins this week, I'm going to be writing them off entirely next week. 
So with that said, I'll just quickly give you my player and pitcher of the week. My player of the week is from the Chicago Dogs with Victor Roach. I was close to think they're going to be him or John Nestor, but when I looked at the numbers, I said Victor Roach has meant more to his team than Nestor has to his team. Uh, Roach, I gave you a rundown of his numbers, but I'll just quickly do it again. Uh, he batted 435. He was on base with a 435 with three home runs, five total runs scored, and 10 hits. So a solid outing from him this week. And then my pitcher of the week is Jake Zokan. Again, he was really the best starter of the week. There's a couple other possible candidates. A guy like Frank Duncan was in the running. Even some other guys like Zimmerman were in the running. But at the end of the day... Just Zolkan pitched more, and he pitched equally as effective. So I got to give him that. Again, in case you weren't uh, paying attention or you forgot, 14 innings pitched from him, only four earned runs, only 10 hits total allowed. So less than a base runner an inning when you get down to it. He only allowed 12 base runners across 14 innings this week, and he struck out 15. So between the K rate and the base runners allowed, I had to go to Jake Zokan there. And so then just quickly wrapping up American Association talk, the teams I'm looking at this week are St. Paul, Chicago, and Fargo-Moorhead. Each of them need big weeks. Each of them need to produce, and they need to start winning games. Otherwise, their seasons are going to be in serious doubt. Already with Fargo, if they don't have a, a really strong week, I'm talking at least 7-3. and 6-4, and four, probably not enough. They probably need a 7-3 and three week then they're just about done. They're just too far back. And at this point in the year, being back seven or eight games, I just don't see being able to make that up in about 30 games. I mean, maybe in a different year when you didn't have as strong of teams ahead of you, maybe in a year where there were more playoff spots available for granted more teams, but less that you had to deal with on each side different circumstances, I wouldn't be writing them off quite yet, but given the circumstances we're in, Fargo-Moorhead's really in jeopardy here. They need a 7-3 and three week. They need to start clawing back to 500, and if they can't do it, then they're done. Uh, likewise with St. Paul and Chicago, they both need to continue the pace they've been at. If they can't at least score 500 weeks, I'm going to start to seriously doubt them. Likewise, at the top of the board, it's too hard to call anything. Milwaukee should be watching their backs here because, again, a strong week from either Chicago or St. Paul could spell doom for them as well. That could put them in a really tough spot. As far as Sioux Falls and Winnipeg, uh, they're kind of spared the rest. They have built a little bit of a cushion for themselves, so it'll be interesting to see if they can continue to have that cushion. I don't really see any realistic scenario where they're in deep trouble after one week. At this point, they've done a good job of at least banking up enough to be able to afford a bad week. So be interesting to see what happens this week in the association. That said, we will now go to the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, and their big announcement from Tuesday was that Gastonia was getting a team. That became official on Tuesday. The Gastonia franchise will begin play in 2021. The group will be led by Brandon Bellamy. He made his money in real estate development. He is going to be working with the city of Gastona to further develop the area around the arena, so that Fuse uh, district. So he'll be developing that area. And one other thing of note, which I saw bandied about, which is something uh, that I found a little interesting, was that he is the only uh, African-American or black owner in baseball right now. And he's actually the first since 1987. So there hasn't been a black majority owner in baseball since for about 23 years, about a quarter of a century. So he's going to be the lone guy here 
in that regard. And I did see one quote from him in the Baseball America article, which is linked in our show notes, which I do recommend reading, where he really wasn't looking at it as, oh, this is a minority-led group, this is a minority-owned team, it's just, you know, it's a team that we own, and we I'm happy that people could use what I'm doing as a as something of a role model, and I hope it does make an impact, and we look forward to trying to just continue to develop the community around this team, which I thought was a, a tremendous way of looking at everything, and I'm very interested to see a guy like Bellamy own a team and to see how he's going to kind of run his team and run this ballpark. I mean, part of the deal was that he's going to be in charge of this arena. He's going to be in charge of scheduling other things in here, whether that be concerts, whether that be lacrosse games, whether that be soccer games, eSport events, whatever it may be, he's going to be bringing other events in. So I'm going to be very curious to see what he does on that front. Likewise, I've discussed it on this show before, and I will continue to discuss. I'm very curious in what approach he goes with in building a team. I'm very curious to see how everything goes in regards to the lead-up to 2021, because there's a lot of potential here and a whole hell of a lot of options that he can go with as far as on-the-play talent, off-the-field team building, and even more importantly, and arguably the most important of all of them, which is that off-the-field community engagement, which is how you build a successful team. And obviously, if a guy's able to build a multi-million dollar uh, real estate development company, then he's clearly good at business and knows how to reach out and interact with people. So I'm going to be very curious to see how he does in that regard. Then on Thursday, we got another bomb dropped out of uh, Rick White in the Atlantic League. Now, this is something that none of us were really expecting to come, but it did happen. And that was uh, Rick White announced that they were looking to add another one to three teams this year, meaning for the 2021 season. And uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Gastonia will happen, which we obviously know already. But they want more teams, which, I mean, it's always good to see. The Atlantic League hasn't expanded beyond eight teams, and they really haven't gone on this huge of an expansion bandwagon in quite some time, well over about 10 years now. And I'm curious to see where they're going to pick. I threw out on our Instagram page, Indie Ball Report, where would you like to see a team go? And there's some markets where I really think there's some solid potential here, which is like a Pawtucket, a Binghamton, Atlantic City, Chattanooga, Frederick, Maryland, uh, West Virginia, particularly Charleston was one. Foley, Alabama was a town that we talked about in the past. I believe that was like around episode 32 or so. We could go back and listen to that for more information on that particular market. There's a couple others, but a lot of those teams do f- kind of fit the Atlantic League mold, and I could definitely see them wanting a team in those markets. I'm just curious to know what the ownership group's like, the whole area surrounding that, and everything involving that, which we'll go into more detail about that next week when I can actually have a back-and-forth discussion with a lot of people. But the question I kind of want to pose to you listening, and really just in general, is this kind of an insurance policy for a possible Sugarland and Somerset departure. We heard that Sugarland was looking to leave and we saw their statement. It definitely didn't seem a very hard commitment to the Atlantic League. And certainly everything they've done since hasn't really dispelled that rumor. It hasn't increased it either, but it certainly hasn't dispelled it. And then Somerset supposedly came out that they were the most likely to become affiliated, which was leaving everyone scratching their head going, well, where could they possibly go that would make them 
affiliated. There's no local team that would make sense. And the whole point of the contraction and reorganization of MILB was to put affiliates closer to the parent club. So I don't really know how that works out. But then the statement from the Califers came out that seemed very wishy-washy. So who knows? So I am kind of curious to know if you add a second and a third team here, you expand by, say, three teams next year. Is that saying, all right, we expect to lose at least one of our teams for next year, so we want to make sure we have everything in order just in case that happens? It's a question I do want to throw out there because there is that sneaking possibility, which I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen. I'll kind of leave off on that note. I do want to hear what your thoughts are on this expansion, what your thoughts are, and what you want to see out of our known expansion team in Gastonia. Also, what do you think is going to happen with the American Association going forward? Are we going to see some sort of radical shift among the standings in the next month or so? Or are things going to settle down and we're basically looking at how it's going to look like come Labor Day? Uh, with that said, I'll just go quickly, run through our plugs, which are you can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can find all the show notes, articles, episodes, everything that's Indie Ball Report on our website, IndieBallReport.com. You can find our YouTube channel at IndieBallReportPodcast on YouTube. With that, you're going to want to keep an eye out there. Planning on doing a possible video that goes into more depth on each of these major cities for the expansion of the Atlantic League. So it could be a nice little video to watch out for. Uh, so you can want to subscribe there on YouTube. And then you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. So that's uh, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Really, like I said, any podcatcher, you'll have us on there. Uh, so with that said, nothing else left to add. Until next week, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>